There we go. So the words, I am he, as Jesus uttered, gave us this life expectancy. So today we're going to talk a little bit about life expectancy, what it means today, what it meant in the Bible, and how we can use our physical life expectancy to project our spiritual life expectancy. So uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about here, I'm going to give you a scripture verse. I believe it should be on the top of your uh, insert there. Matthew 16, 25 through 26. It says, for whoever wants to save their soul, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Okay, so that is a very important passage in the Word of God because that tells us that if we try to save our own life, we're going nowhere. There is a reason God sent His Son to become our Savior, and that was so that He could save our life. Okay, so where it says, whoever loses their life for me will find it. What that means is, whoever will repent, turn from their wicked ways, and run to Christ, in that, we'll find life. Okay? Whoever's going to repent, turn from wicked ways, and run to Christ. Let's see if this will cooperate. There we go. The average life expectancy in the United States of America according to the World Bank in 2016, is 78.69 years, okay? Not a bad number, but get this. In 1970, that average life expectancy was only 69 years. So we're moving up, okay? I can't tell you whether it's the excessive amounts of spinach we're eating or if it's the excessive amounts of McDonald's that we're eating, but something is increasing this physical life expectancy. And we think, wow, 80 years. That's a long time. For me, that's like another 60 years ahead of me. But, in the Bible, the people that we read about, they lived to be much older. Okay, so we're going to talk about five guys that live to be a considerable amount older than 80 years old. Moses. Everybody in here knows about Moses. He lived to be 120 years old. Abraham. Probably everybody in here knows about Abraham. Lived to be 175 years old. That's a head scratcher, isn't it? Can you imagine being 175 years old and still walking the earth? I don't think they had walkers and wheelchairs then. Come on. Enoch was 365 years old. But notice, I didn't write when he died because Enoch did not die. He vanished. He walked so closely with God that he disappeared. It says God took him away. Noah lived to be 950 years old. That's a lot of years away for me. That's a lot of years away for all of us. 
950 years old. And then here's the icing on the cake. The oldest man ever known in the Bible and the oldest man ever recorded in history, Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old. Okay? So what did all these guys have in common? These guys all lived expecting something from God. Okay? They expected that God was going to fulfill his promises to them. So I don't have these up on the slides, so bear with me. But Moses served expectingly for so much of his life, expecting to deliver his people into the promised land. Amen? Abraham was kind of unique because he expected a lot from God. He expected God to fulfill his promise of making him the father of nations. That was before his name change. Remember, he was Abram. And then God changed his name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. Okay, but Abraham expected that promise to be fulfilled. He expected from God as if we expect from friends. So when we're having a gathering and our friends call and say, yeah, I'm coming, what can I bring? You expect that that means they're going to bring something, yes. This was the way that Abraham expected from God. And he held him to it. Okay? So Abraham, I'd say out of these five, Abraham expected the most. And he got it. Enoch. Enoch walked faithfully with God. So faithfully, like I said, that he never died. But God spared him the experience of death. And he took him away. Made him disappear. Okay? But what Enoch expected was Enoch expected to prophesy to evildoers about what God had in store. Okay? That's a big expectation. That is a big expectation. He says he not only wants to live and walk so closely and so faithfully with God, but he wants to go out and proclaim, this is what will happen to you if you continue in your evil ways. That's what he expected was that God would give him the words to tell these evildoers. Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. Okay, He walked very faithfully with God, and he expected that God would give him the instructions he needed to build this ark for the time of the great flood. Okay, Beyond that, he expected that God would give him the instructions on how to properly restart humanity because everyone else on the face of the earth at that time was going to be wiped out by the flood except Noah and his family. Now Methuselah is an interesting one to read about because you have to go into the Apocrypha to get the bulk of Methuselah's life. Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Okay, That made him the grandfather to Noah. I apologize. I know that's a lot to wrap your mind around. But I say that to say this. He was chosen to share Enoch's heavenly knowledge to those that would survive the flood. 
Noah's family. Okay? He expected to receive clear instruction and share it with Noah and his family. That's what Methuselah expected from God. And like I said, that's recorded in the Apocrypha in the Book of Enoch, uh, not in the Holy Bible. So that's what, that's what these guys all have in common. But here's the good news for us. See that word up there on that screen, promises? This book right here is full of them. Just for us. Okay? So we're going to talk about three promises. Three promises regarding Christ's effects on life. Okay? Through Christ, we can have a radiant life. John 1 and 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. When you think about a light bulb, what does it do? It shines or radiates light. Yes? Somebody say amen. amen. Say it louder. Say amen. amen. There we go. The, that light bulb is going to glow. Okay? Have you ever gone to replace a dead light bulb? Not knowing that the switch was on? And when you start to screw that bulb in, it blinds you. And you're like, well, okay, can't see. Don't fall off the ladder. It also burns you because it burns that brightly. It, radiate, it radiates that light so brightly and so hot that it has the power to disorient your eyes and burn your skin. Okay, through Christ, we can have an abundant life. You heard that in the scripture this morning from John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or as the King James says, that they may have life and have life more abundantly. Okay? Through Christ, we can have everlasting life. Romans 5.21 says, So that just as sin resigned unto death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing about these three promises. The first thing we have to do in order to receive these promises is receive Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on a little louder. Amen? Amen. There we go. These are the three promises. There's way more. There's way more, but I thought in order to get you out of here by one, I should keep it to three. This is important to note. I should have made it bold on your insert, but I didn't, but I should have. So underline it about a thousand times with your pencil. This is important. Jesus Christ is the only source of life. Jesus Christ is the only source of life. Who's the only source of life? Jesus Christ. Okay? For those that have yet to find that important truth, I feel sorry for them. But that's why we're here. That's why we're in this building together, so that we can ready ourselves to go out and reach those people 
with this gospel so that we can reach out and say, I have something for you. We can say, I have something that you need to know. And that is that Jesus Christ is the only source of life. So whatever you're considering to be your life source, you're wrong. It's Jesus Christ. He gives you this gift of breath. Okay? If you, if you take your wrist and you put two fingers right down on your wrist, you're going to feel this really amazing thing. It's a heartbeat. It's a sign of life. That is Jesus Christ in me, beating my heart, pumping my lungs so that I can breathe. Okay, 1 John 5 and 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Can it be any more plain? Could it get any more clear than that truth written down, black and white, ink on paper. If there is one scripture to memorize, to commit into your heart for those times that you come up against an unbeliever, this is it. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's one of the most beautiful scriptures. It's one of the most devastating scriptures. Because we know that there are far too many people that don't have the sign. We're going to talk about three truths regarding spiritual life. Okay? Take a minute and reflect on your spiritual life. Just, just briefly here. Think about what your spiritual life is. Think about what your spiritual life entails. Does it meet God's standard for you? We have expectations from God, but God has expectations from us. Three truths. Spiritual life is sustained by the Word of God. You hear in church about the importance of reading, the importance of studying. But where do we often slack? We let it slide. Because, well, we're busy doing housework. The dishes need done. The floors need swept. The goats need fed. The barn needs cleaned. We slack. It doesn't have to be four, five, six chapters each night. Just a couple verses. Read and sustain your spiritual life. This, this word of God is how the spirit man eats. It's how the spirit man dines. If you go without food for a couple of days, how do you feel? Weak famished. You're actually beginning to experience physical pain because your stomach is squeezing so tightly. And then what does your stomach do but cry out 
for food. You ever, you ever sit next to somebody and think, it sounds like they swallowed a Rottweiler. <laughs> you hear this insane growl and gurgle. They mustn't have eaten for days. If you listen very closely, you'll hear these same groanings from your spirit. You feel down and out, discouraged. You don't know why. You sit down in the chair and you start to cry. Your spirit's crying, feed me. Feed me. Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, on every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Somebody say, God is good. Somebody say, all the time. Somebody say, God is good. All the time. Every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord is what we feed on. That gives us that spiritual strength that we need. Because this world is coming after us day after day, sword after sword after sharp sword, to try and gouge us. They say, who is your God? They say, how do you know he exists? Because he lives in me. Because he sustains my life day after day. Because he gives me a purpose. He gives me that feeling that I know that every word he says, I thrive on. I thrive on. Spiritual life is secured by our faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and not yet seen. Let me, if I may, replace one word and say faith is the substance of things expected. Things expected and not yet seen. Our, our spiritual life is firmly rooted in faith. It's firmly grounded. Just like this building is built on blocks, that faith holds up our spiritual being. John 5, 24 says, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged by his cross from death unto life. That, that's a good verse to say that my faith secures my spiritual life because there will come a day that each one of us here will draw our last breath. And we will cross from life into death, but praise God, we will cross from death into eternal life. Amen? Amen. This one's the one that's hard to choke down. Spiritual life is demonstrated by love. This is the one that gets us in trouble. Because people don't understand love. They don't understand that if I love you, I'm going to be hard on you. They don't understand that sometimes love is aggressive. It's not always a hug. 
times love is the strongest correction you will ever receive. Sometimes love feels like a knife, but it will only feel like a knife if you're living in sin. When you're sinning, when you're not living right, love is going to cut. It's going to make you bleed. Okay? That's, that's why this world gets so upset. They say, you're a Christian, don't judge me for what I'm doing. I'm not judging you. I'm hating your sin and I am loving you. I don't want to see you go to hell. Get it together. Come on, we can work together through this. I can't tell you the number of times I have been rejected and turned away from because of my love for people. I say, friends, come. You know, in the Hebrew language, they, they tend to translate their descriptions of God a little bit differently. Okay? One of the words that gets translated incorrectly is what we read as awesome. Our God is an awesome God. The original context actually meant terrible. But what does it sound like to people if you go around saying, I serve a terrible God? That's comforting, isn't it? But let me tell you what, when you understand the word awesome, we use it as a slang word. Hey, that's awesome. But when we say that God is awesome, it means he is in control. It means that he is the divine authority. It means that he is sitting on his throne in heaven above with a sword in his hand, ready to cut down those that come against him. That's what awesome means. Our God is an awesome God, and he reigns. Amen? People don't want to look at it like that. That's scary. So is the book of Revelation, until you get saved. And then the book of Revelation is promise after promise after promise. And you say, thank you, God. I'm coming home. Thank you, Lord. I'm coming home. So our spiritual life is demonstrated by love. 1 John 3 and 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Ouch. Let me share with you a scripture again from 1 John. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 8. Okay? So only about one chapter after this essential phrase, anyone who does not love remains in death. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 8 says this. God is love. Say that with me. God is love. What does that mean for us? It goes on and it says, those who don't love don't know God. Because God is love. Anyone who does not love 
remains in death. That is to say, if you do not love, you don't know God. Because God is love. And if you don't have love, and that means you don't have God, then yes, in fact, you remain in death. Until the day that you say, Jesus, I'm ready for you. Take my heart. Transfigure my life. Until that day, we are born into death. When we are born in the flesh, we are born to death. And when we are born again in the spirit, we are born unto eternal, everlasting life. Amen? That was weak. Amen? Come on, yes. God is good. He gives us these things. And he expects that we do something with them. He expects that we do something with that. God is love. There is one major requirement for a prosperous spiritual life. This point is not easy to handle, folks. Are you ready for this? Say, I'm ready for this. Jesus Christ prepared you for this. I know you're ready. The major requirement is death unto sin and self. Death unto sin and self. There are a lot of preachers that will brush right over that. They won't talk about it. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. There's a lot of preachers out there that'll touch it with a 5-foot pole, but they'll leave it sit on that side of the stage, and they won't go anywhere near it. But let me tell you what. I am here to tell you about death to sin and self. Okay? This means the day you receive Jesus Christ, you're going to experience a change. The most beautiful way I have ever heard it put in a good friend's testimony, he looked at me and he said, the day I received Christ, that man died on that altar. That man died on that altar, and a new man rose, and he's living his life for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is the most powerful way I have ever heard anyone give their testimony. But that's what has to happen. When we are born into this fleshy world, we are born into sin. When we receive our conversion, we have to die to that sin. We do die on the altar when we receive Christ. And that means we die to our flesh. This world has nothing for us. Jesus has everything for us. Everything. Everything. You think about the way the course of life has pulled you. And you think about things that... Maybe you shouldn't have done it, but you did anyways. We're humans. We all have our setbacks. We all accidentally fall prey to the traps that the devil lays. I get it. I get it. 
his death unto sin and self. So important. In Hebrews chapter 9, they talk about Christ and his example of this. This Christ man went, was crucified on my behalf. Those are some of the most devastating words I'll ever offer. Christ was crucified on my behalf. He hung on that cross when it should have been me. But his love prevailed. His love said, don't worry. I'll take it for you. Devastating words. It's okay. You're covered. I'll do this for you. He died for our sin. He allowed his flesh to be crucified, beaten, scourged, pierced, stabbed, whipped, lacerated for me. I think a death unto sin and self is the very least I can do for him. Second Corinthians. 5 and 15 gives us the specific instruction that says he died for us so that we could live for him. Amen? Anybody in here living for Christ? <clears throat> Put your hands up. Everybody in here is living for Christ. Amen? There we go. He died for us so that we could live for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. This life, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Powerful words. Please underline the words. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's how we're supposed to be living. If you ever say, does the Bible teach us exactly how to live? Right there it is. Plain and simple, black and white, I live by faith in the Son of God. Praise God. I'm going to lay out three physical life expectations for you there at the bottom of your note sheet. Okay? These three physical life expectations every day. You wake up and you expect to eat a daily meal. Yes? Anybody in here wake up and say, nope, not eating today. I do sometimes, I'll be honest, I don't eat breakfast ever. It makes me sick. But I expect by lunchtime, I'm gonna be starving and I'm gonna wanna eat, okay? We expect every day to eat a meal, at least once, many of us twice, some of us even three times. And between meals, we snack. Okay? Keeps us running. You probably don't need the candy bar, but I'm going to have it anyway. Makes you feel good. 
for a few minutes and then you get the sugar crash. But you gotta eat. That's your physical life expectation. We expect to grow appropriately. Okay, we expect to grow appropriately. I grew a little more, a um, little above the average height. That's okay. But you know what, as a child, I said, I wanna be a big, strong man. I didn't really get the strong part, but I got the big part. Okay? That's, that's what you look forward to as a child. I can't wait to grow up. You expect to grow appropriately. That's why some of us have those little marks on the wall at our parents' house. Or in our parents' barn, we have those marks on the beam. How about that? When I was eight years old, I was only three and a half feet tall. And then at nine years old, oh, I didn't grow. Well, then at 10 years old, I was almost five foot tall. But then from 10 to 15, I didn't grow. I stayed about five foot tall until mm, I was about 16. And then all of a sudden, it was like overnight, none of my clothes fit. And I expected that I would continue to grow. Though for a while, I was uncertain. I expected that I'd continue to grow. They say that men stop growing somewhere around 26 or 27 years old. I'm in trouble. I got a couple years to go. <laughs> My clothes could yet again not fit me one morning. We'll see, but we expect to grow. We expect to prosper and not fail. Any of you get out of bed in the morning and say, well, I'm going to go fail at life today. I don't think so. We say, okay, I have a plan. This is how I'm going to go about the day. It may not work, but I have a plan in place. And if it doesn't work, then I'll come back, I'll reevaluate, and I'll get it. Eventually, I'll get it. I will prosper. You know what? God promises us that we will prosper. Did you know that? The Word of God says He will make you the head and not the tail. That's a prosperity promise. He says He's going to make you the head, not the tail. He's going to keep you in upright fashion. That's His promise to you. Stand on it. Abide by it. When people look at you and say, things just aren't going your way, are they? You say, no, they're going his way. Amen? No, they're not going my way. They're going his way. And I'm all right with that. Praise God, I am all right with that. Spiritual life expectations. This one might throw you off guard. That's blank. That's blank. That's blank. Here's why. I cannot set your spiritual life expectations. It is something I am not capable of doing. I can set my own spiritual life expectations, but this is between you and God. I encourage you to spend time in God's presence like you have never done before. Whether it means turning off your television, your radio, and taking your Bible, and sitting in a quiet room and studying it, set aside an entire evening 
and just spend time in God's presence. Wait, and he will show you his expectations for your spiritual life. He'll show you exactly who he wants you to become. When he does, you'll be in awe. When I sat and said, Lord, what do you want from me? It made me cry. Because just the time you think, I'm doing it right, I'm doing it right, he wants more. He's going to continue to push you to grow. He's going to push and push and push. And when you're standing on the edge going, I can't go any farther, he goes, yes, you can. And so you take that half-inch step, and you say, I can't go any farther. He says, yes, you can. Growth is not comfortable. Take it from a man that's six foot four. Growth hurts. It hurts your knees. It hurts your hips. It hurts your ankles, your shins, your shoulders. Your rib cage, your elbows, your forearms. Growth is painful. Spiritual growth is painful. But when that pain subsides, you go out, you get your new wardrobe, and you say, Look at this. When that spiritual pain subsides, God will give you your new wardrobe, and you will go out and say, look at this. Look at what God has done. You will have every reason to run around praising God. Praising God. Call your neighbor. You're not going to say what God did for me. Call your best friend. You haven't seen in 10 years. You're not going to believe this. If nobody answers the phone, go down the oak tree. Go tell somebody, God did this for me. Get excited about it. When you're done, if you want to make a generic list for your spiritual life expectations, just so you don't walk home with that little piece of your bulletin insert blank, copy down the physical life expectations. Eat daily. Grow appropriately. Prosper and not fail. The same things we expect day in and day out of our physical life, those can be three generic spiritual life expectations. This is what Charles Spurgeon has to say about life. I'm going to read it to you first from his original text, and then I'll read it paraphrased so that it's a little bit more understandable. Charles Spurgeon says, Life is theirs as a lobby to dress in for the grand entry into the chamber of the bridegroom. Theirs to enjoy the antepast of heaven in. Theirs to glorify Jesus in. How sweet to have an opportunity of showing our zeal. The seed time of eternity. The saints' purification time with spices and myrrh to fit her her Lord. That's deep. In lay terms, he would have said, life is where we wait and prepare ourselves for Christ's return. It is ours to enjoy that first taste of heaven 
ours to glorify Jesus with. How sweet that we can prove our zeal. Life. Life is where we plant the seeds of our own eternity. It's where we're sanctified and made right for the coming of our King. Amen? Amen. We are sanctified and made right by the refiner's fire for the coming of our King. Sanctus Real has a song out called Confidence. We're going to play that for you. I want you to listen to it because it's very, very beautiful in what it has to say. It's the different expectations that we can have. That can be our expectation to face 
our giants with confidence. Are you not on? Here we go. That can be our expectation, to face our giants with confidence. Sing and shout and shake the walls. Don't just shake them, wait until you see them fall. Praise God, that's what this life is about. We were given this physical life to live our best spiritual life. That's the purpose of this flesh and bone body. Is that the spirit man will overtake, scream, shout, stomp, sing, praises, praises to Jesus Christ. We're going to praise God this morning. We're going to end with the song called Unfailing Love. We've sang it many times. But that's what we're going to thank God for today, is his unfailing love. There's just nothing like it. That's, that unfailing love is what brings us into our spiritual life. If you would stand with us.